Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. I'm your co-host, Jackson Eflin. And joining us this week, we have Mike Knoll. Hello. Seize the day, gentlemen. <laughs> seize the day. <laughs> Carpe diem. You fool, you should not seize the day. You should seize the means of protection. Yes. So now I know what your sequel for this is going to be for equalizers. Uh, Carpe the means of production. But Mike is joining us after being challenged by Maya. Yeah, I'm here doing the She's the Man gratuitous pausing challenge. I challenge Madison Jones. Uh, <laughs> that's very daring of me to assume She's the Man is what's going to be going through this week. So. Uh, yeah, as Mike mentioned, She's the Man is one of the films we'll be talking about. We are also going to be talking about Dead Poets Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you hopefully guessed from having listened to all of our previous episodes. <laughs> and also just seeing the art and title for the episode. <laughs> Weird Omens. <laughs> it's uh, my favorite Neil Gaiman book. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, why don't we go ahead and get started with Dead Poets Society. Um, Weird Omens is exactly the same as Good Omens, but Shadow Moon is replaced by Moon Knight. I have some tomatoes, <laughs> as always. Yeah, I brought my party trick. Seize the day. Does he have your number? One eight hundred. So, Candace E gives us three and a half stars. There are many references to Harry Potter in this film. It has a good and sad ending. End of review. <laughs> Are the references to Harry Potter the fact that it takes place at a boarding school? There's a kid with the glasses. Also, the principal has no nose. <laughs> also, he steals their souls. I don't know. I... A little bit. Timoteo B. does not have a rating for this, but they do write, I watched this today. End of review. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Invaluable. And then we have a review from somebody whose name was... I believe four question marks and then two question marks. They gave this four and a half stars. Their review is 10 question marks, then a question mark in parentheses, then 34 question marks, then four question marks, then nine question marks, (laughs) then 26 question marks, then 20 question marks, then 38 question marks, then 20 question marks, then 20 question marks, then 27 question marks, then three question marks, six question marks, nine question marks, 23 question marks, and then a 9.5 out of 10. In your review. <laughs> and I'll show you here. I have the screenshot. You can see that was the entire review. Huh. I, I, part of me after this recording session is over wants to go around tomatoes and just follow that person and see what other things that they reviewed. So on Equalizers, we had a review like this once. And it was question marks. And we made the joke that, oh, it's a code. You count how many question marks. And then that, that number of letter in the alphabet. And then we made it actually turn into like a little melody kind of thing. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll try that for this. And I got as far as the second entry, which was 34 question marks before <laughs> I kind of gave up because there's only 26 letters in the English alphabet. So, mm, so what alphabet are they really uh, using? Lastly, Life F gave this two stars. Official better than extremely loud and incredibly close <laughs> seal. <laughs> Official John Tyler entry for the pretentious Nissathon. I'm not reviewing this one because I just did a running commentary. All you need to know is that it's the edgiest movie ever made. In your review. <laughs> but I love the review was okay, a, what? Couple, a couple points and then I'm not going to review it because I just said a lot of dope shit. <laughs> you should have been there. I need to know what year that review came out for edgiest movie ever created. 2014. Zack Snyder's Dead Poet Society. <laughs> Also, uh, yeah, give me the Snyder Cut of Dead Poets. No, that's not something that I want at all. 
<laughs> I would murder someone to prevent that from happening. <laughs> Nolan says the fuck word a lot. <laughs> Oh, yeah, before we get into Dead Poets, I do want to talk a little bit about Samuel Pickering, who is the teacher that Mr. Keating is loosely based off of. He is a English teacher. He professor emeritus at uh, University of Connecticut. He both attended Montgomery Bell Academy in Nashville, Tennessee, and then went back as a teacher where he taught Tom Schulman, who wrote Dead Poets Society. Mm. And Mr. Keating's very eccentric teaching style is based off of his classroom antics. And that's really what he'd prefer them to be called. After this movie came out and he was associated with the character of Mr. Keating, he's kind of pushed off the notoriety that the film has given him. And a lot of people have asked him about his philosophy on education. And he's just like, I just want to have fun in the classroom. I do what I do mostly to entertain myself. <laughs> and it's purposeless and impulsive. And honestly, I just really appreciate that. Yeah. It seems really appropriate that they cast Robin Williams then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Somebody who describes their method as a purposeless and, what was it? Impulsive. An impulsive. Robin Williams, that is him. He's that embodied. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Most likely to play Puck. I would have said Robert, Robert Sean Leonard, who's, um, yeah. yeah. I don't remember any of their names. Oh, um, Neil. That's, yeah. Neil. I remember it down. I just Wilson remember. from House. Yes. <laughs> Hugh Laurie's Dr. Watson. Yeah. <laughs> so it begins. So, just a little bit of background information before we dig back into the film. Hmm. Uh, where do we want to start this time around? Yeah, I'll start. I, I told Jackson before we started this, I'm watching this. Turns out I don't like Dead Poets Society anymore. Hmm. I made a note here, and it, it's a thought that I think the movie is trying to get at, but it's not doing it well, is that I wrote down, is Keating just as bad? Question mark Because it seems like he lumps them into youths that need freedom, and I'm going to give them that freedom without really, like taking them case by case like with who's ethan hawk uh anderson uh todd yeah yeah todd anderson he like zeroes in on what's his thing like what's the problem with him and it's like all right we're gonna fix it he doesn't know this kid mm -hmm. he knows that he's nervous and it's like well you're nervous you just need to be pushed out of your comfort zone and like, that one worked but obviously in other places it's sort of a they're kids they can handle freedom and responsibility but i think it's more of just takes an act to the chains like go and be free without any guidance or supervision you're free now and like we see what happens when yeah. you give hormonal teenagers oh yeah go be free tell your parents what's up and the parents who at that time aren't gonna like that yeah it just seems wildly irresponsible and it feels like the movie is trying to do that but they portray any person who ever suggests maybe he's doing he's going a little too far as like well harumph they're children and children need discipline harumph i'm gonna give you the paddle now like yeah there is no middle ground yeah. yeah. The Todd Anderson thing is kind of a good example of how if a teacher wanted to work through that with Todd, he should have been like, hey, Todd, I see that you have this thing. I want to have a conversation with you about how we're going to help you build through that instead of just like dump that upon you. What's instead of making him yell. Yeah. Like, hey, Todd, what things do you need from me that will help you work through this? I want to push you. I, I want to help you help figure out what your boundaries are and how you're going to learn from this. It's kind of very much the throw you into the deep end to learn to swim angle of freedom. Like, <laughs> yeah. he just breaks the chains and yeah. then it's like, go, go, be free. We talked a lot about the scene with Todd and mm -hmm. his improvisational poem. And there are distinct problems with that. 
And I definitely get what you're saying, and I think the problem just comes down to it, it's a film, and we have to kind of deal with extremes as opposed to finding a middle ground. And I and I like that. I just it's a film that definitely portrays him as like this great. I don't keep saying it's liberator, but it's yeah. he's yeah. the one who's gonna treat him like they're adults, and he's showing them how to not be cogs yeah. in the machine. But his showing them to do that is very much boxing them into youths that need my help, and the school is boxing them into children that need to be disciplined they need yeah. discipline well there's not a case by case but there's yeah. no nuance to anybody's point i think and... another interesting example is uh charlie dalton who we are not dead named Nulanda in this house fair enough but the film doesn't necessarily make it clear whether or not Nuwanda is engaging with all of this because it is encouragement for him to act out and be the class clown, or whether he's really into the poetry and the free expression. Charlie is very much cribbing off of the beat movement that is happening right around this time that the film is set, uh, like with the bongos and the beret and the saxophone. Sure, he's one of the first ones to attempt his own poetry, but it all is a little on the juvenile side, and I'm not sure whether that's just because he's juvenile or because he doesn't really take this too seriously. Hmm. I would say that the scene where after he does the telephone call from God, <laughs> and Keating comes in and he's like, What about carpe diem and sucking all the marrow out of life? Sucking the marrow out of life doesn't mean choking on the bone. See, there's a time for daring and there's a time for caution. And a wise man understands which is called for. The look on his face when Keating like comes in like, yeah. and then kind of softens. Finally, somebody's engaging with me on my level. I think that that's where he maybe starts to actually yeah. take it more as like the free expression and stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to keep bringing it back, but that's the counterpoint to my, he doesn't like, he just sets them free. That's not discouragement. That's oh, more no. of just like, you got to be smarter about this <laughs> if you're yeah. going to do this kind of shit. I think towards the end, Keating does realize that he was in a greater or lesser extent responsible for uh, what happened with Neil, but there isn't enough time in the film for it to like really unpack that and how I feel yeah. about all of that. Honestly, I feel like Neil's suicide should have been the midpoint of the movie. Mm, that's fair. And then everything else is the fallout of like, okay, this is what you taught them. The things that you were aiding and abetting them and doing indirectly led to this, and there was no supervision yeah. on your part. Cut, if we just remove Knox Overstreet from the whole thing, just throw him into the ether, and then just push all that thing forward and yeah, put a little scene to the end, mm -hmm. and the space left over, fabulous. Mm -hmm. I think Grant, that's where I would put that, because that would allow for those things to happen in a way that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That build would be really interesting. Yeah, like there's also the weirdness of Neil directly lying to Keating about his father's approval. Like you can tell there are points where Keating doesn't exactly believe Neil when he's saying it, but he doesn't push him on it either. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's maybe Keating like, okay, well it's a step. Like if this is gonna be baby steps because he's been you know so lockstep with his dad's intentions mm. like okay well he's lying probably lying about this but at least he's starting to entertain the idea of having open discussion with his dad we'll work on it from there i won't do some kind of yeah. church tent revival to get him to yeah. do an impromptu poem <laughs> yeah and i think on some level true rebellion is rebellion because those told you to rebel so there's that <laughs> adam from abraham lincoln vampire hunter <laughs> Like Keating should have seen it coming with that. I think if if we like mm -hmm. like push that earlier, so like 
oh, this kid's lying to me. He like starts to not quite panic, but starts to be worried then, and unless like kind of like the start of the descent into trouble, that could be a really good way to make that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Jackson and I have often talked about a remake of this in a more long form, like mini series form. I think this really should be a mini series. Yeah. I know I said that yeah. about a lot of movies, but it really should. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Movies that's... just need to be six hours long. <laughs> And also, let's be honest, I would spend that much time with most of these kids anyway. They're... I don't think I could. I was halfway through the movie. I had to stop and watch the Mr. Music bit from John Wayne and the Sack Lunch Kids because I was like, I need some levity here. <laughs> That's fair. I think on a rewatch, it's easier because I know what their trajectories are so I can kind of like mm-hmm. see what's happening with them. But I, I don't disagree with There's still like a few of those characters who just don't get enough. Meeks and Pitts are kind of... Short into the stick. The Dead Poets Society could have been four dudes. I mean, there's like six, seven of them. Because there's Ish. the one. There, there's Neil, Todd, Knox, Charlie, Meeks, Pitts, Cameron. And which one's the red-haired one? That's Cameron. The, Cameron. We didn't need Cameron. No, we definitely need Cameron. I mean, maybe not necessarily in the Poets Society, but we need him in the story. Let me rephrase that. The way that Cameron is in the movie is he's kind of there, and he's just on screen enough so you recognize that he's one of them mm-hmm. and then he's the one that sells them out at the end mm-hmm. like he's the Judas he needed to either not be there and one of the more important people sold them out or he needed to be more important because he was like came in was like oh yeah I told him everything I was like, why do I care about you like you're there at the mm-hmm. end they showed the blonde kid with the glasses who I've never seen that movie <laughs> before ever get up on his desk too yeah. like oh yeah that guy who's in the whole movie has really been their antagonist yeah. he's in now too he's like no who are you yeah. like what are you doing the, the kid who is presumably the like love child of Harry Potter and, and, and Draco Malfoy I was gonna say Draco Malfoy and Macaulay Culkin from the page master mm, that's fair yeah uh I think I like your idea of like just four dudes so like, like one can be honor one can be excellence one can be discipline one can be tradition that could, mm. have been, like, that could have been really structurally... Like, I mean, I'll have like, one more if you need just like, yeah. to fill out. Yeah, so on an additional watch-through, we noticed that three of the banners at the beginning of the film, because they're the four pillars of Welton Academy, mm-hmm. tradition, honor, discipline, and excellence, mm-hmm. three of them are being held by future members of the Dead Poets Society. So Cameron is holding tradition, which fits perfectly with him. He is kind of the personification of the status quo at the school. We have Neil holding excellence, which Neil is always trying to do more, and his father is holding him back from doing what he wants to do. So that makes sense. Is Neil a Disney princess? <laughs> Sorry, that's the whole thing. And then we have Knox holding discipline. And it doesn't at first feel like a good fit, but then there's a line later on from Knox that he says, That's just my problem. I've been calm all my life. And playing off of that. But yeah, I think Cameron is super important. Partially because there's just a whole lot of foreshadowing that, yeah, Cameron's the weak leg. Cameron is the one who is doesn't get Mr. Keating's teaching style. Mm-hmm. He literally asked after the first lesson about Carpe Diem, like, Can you test us on that stuff? Oh, come on, Cameron. Don't you get anything? <laughs> it's a Hermione. <laughs> and he is the butt of so many jokes. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the tension points for Todd. Todd, throughout the film, is kind of trying to figure out whether he's going to be like Cameron or be like Charlie. Starting off the film, the first line we actually get from Cameron is, Hey, I heard you got the new kid. Looks like a stiff. (laughs) Cameron is saying that Todd looks like a stiff. And Todd, for the rest of the movie, is trying to 
live that down. Neil is specifically trying to get him out of his shell so he doesn't end up like Cameron. And at the end, Todd's the one who stands up for Mr. Keating. Cameron being there is important for this journey that Todd goes. But I will say that that's the thing you can pick up on this watch through, but the first watch through, I was kind of in the same boat. So I think, I think we needed like one less character so we can emphasize the camera stuff so you don't have to like watch it once or twice to get that. I think he needed to be more overtly... Antagonistic. Yeah, or important, or part yeah. of the group mm-hmm. in some way. Maybe Todd showing up starts to push him out mm-hmm. of the True. group. I don't, it just... I yeah. take your meaning because you've yeah. seen it now a couple times at least. So you're, you know, digging in more and more as you yeah. watch it. And that's great. And that's yeah. what the film obviously is for. Yeah. As someone who hasn't seen it since I was in like a freshman in high school, oh, yeah. rewatching it, I knew who he was part of the group because he was on screen a lot. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, why is it so bad that he ratted them out? Yeah. And any of the group betraying the rest mm-hmm. of them is bad. Yeah. But it was just like, why do I care about this one? Oh, yeah. It's sort of like how sometimes you'll have a war movie and you'll see like a bunch of characters who get like one or two lines but the, the camera we're focused on and you're like ah you're gonna die first once the shooting starts so I have a question there's yeah. Knox and there's Nuwanda mm-hmm. I legitimately could not tell them apart oh they times. look super similar yes yeah, yeah. Nuwanda yeah. drew on their face so people could finally tell them apart Knox is the one who is more punchable that's all I got. Knox does have the dumber haircut, I will say. But I think that's one of the one of the reasons that I really would like a remake because a more diverse cast would really help the characters stand out. Mm-hmm. So while we were watching, Kyle, you kept saying, well, what about the birds? I don't understand the birds in this movie. Um, yeah, so there mm-hmm. are a few cutaways of montages of like flocks of birds flying away. And then at like the midpoint of the film, Knox is riding his bike to the public school to spy on Chris. It's very bad. <laughs> yes, it is. And disturbs a flock of birds again. And you found some sort of meaning that I was not able to parse. Yeah, so my thing for the flock of birds is, like, it's a group that all moves in sync, and they're all, like, visually not distinct. Mm. And the, throughout the film, the birds get more and more scattered as the characters get more and more not conformity. Mm. So when... Knox is like riding his bike down disturbing the birds. He's breaking the rules and scouting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. I get what it's doing. The film doesn't lose anything if you take it away, but I get the film kind of has like a somewhat meandering pace sometimes. And, yeah. the, and I would rather have like a meandering pace have some sort of visual symbolism than just like, hey, look, it's the Whopping Willow and it's winter now. <laughs> <laughs> Drink every time we reference Harry Potter in these movies. I mean, they do reference it a lot. To be fair. Jumping back to the banners a little bit, during Mr. Keating's first class, which I actually really like because we get a montage of all of their other classes throughout the day and we see how they are teaching and Mr. Keating is totally different. It's a, it's a nice setup. Here's what everything else is like. Here's why he's different. You know, he takes them to the trophy case with all of the portraits and we get this overhead shot of that lobby. And we can see three of the four banners mm-hmm. that we saw at the opening scene of the film. Except tradition is missing. I figured that would be the one. It's clever and it's subtle and I, I like it. It's also like, it, again, it's kind of neat. It was on a rewatch. So. Speaking of Keating, though, there's a running gag of him tossing out gentle insults to the students, mm-hmm. which I was not here for. I get that it's part of his like, witty, charming, Rob Williams repartee kind of thing, mm-hmm. but... If we're analyzing Keating as a teacher, that's not cool unless you've like really established those bonds. You're saying that Keating's not a cool good dude? <laughs> like you were saying, like I, I forgot that I had that in my notes until I noticed it just mm. now. And it's because of like the rapid fire dialogue I didn't pick up on until this time too of like, yeah, hmm. like there there's a line between 
oh, that's an unfortunate aim to have. That must be difficult for you and understanding where the students are at and engaging in that same pattern. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure where Keating falls all the time. I feel like it was really used more to be like, a, hey, I'm not like the other teachers. I'm just like you fellas, hey? Like yeah. all the ribbing, the wat-wats, all that. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I just, it's a really stiff boarding school, so I always automatically assume that they say things like wat-wat and harumph. Yeah. That's true. Also, because it's a boarding school, I thought this was set in England before I watched it, so there's that. Yeah. I mean, there's no proof it's not. They could just be an entirely American school in England. I think that is I, theoretically possible. I, I will say, it, like, a thing that endears me a little bit to that stuff with Keating is I got worse for my old last name, even for my teachers, so... Mm. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, sorry, that's not fair. That sucks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> This is like over 20 years ago, so I don't really care anymore. Wow, you're so old. As am I. <laughs> what was I going to say? There's something else. Oh, yeah. Um, There is one insult that I did really enjoy where I think Latin teacher is wandering through a herd of the students like on the stairs and reprimands this. Slow down, you horrible phalanx of cubescence. Which is very good, and yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. He and Mr. Kidding definitely were having a thing off screen, though, right? Right. Yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, the first time he comes in, he's like, oh, Mr. Kidding, you know, you were here. Like, I get like, he just thought that these kids were roughhousing or whatever. The next time we see him, he and Mr. Kidding are, like, smoking or having coffee in some, like, side room. And then the next time we definitely, like, well, they had that thing at dinner also. Yeah. And then the next time we see him is after Neil's suicide and he's walking some students around. He turns around and he sees Keating in the upper window and just kind of just like, can't see me do this? Like, we have to do this discreetly, but hi. I did really appreciate that, like, we got very little of him, but it's just not to, like, make it so not the whole school is assholes thing. I mean, like, there's, he probably could have done more to stick up for Keating, but I appreciate that the whole school doesn't have to be jerks and we have, like, some. Yeah, I, I did definitely get that as a nod to, like, this isn't your fault, but I'm one guy and I can't go against the administration. It's also not not your fault. I don't know. I would definitely blame Mr. Perry much more for oh, no, I would. Yeah, I would, too. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not yeah. disagreeing. I just, Mr. Keating isn't entirely innocent. No. Right. And that's what I mean. It's like, I, I it's not your yeah. fault. You did st- arguably start yeah, the, like, him on the path. I would say it's he's not necessarily to blame, but he did instigate mm-hmm. the series of events that led to Neil's death. Series of unfortunate events. Yes. (laughs) I'll leave now. (laughs) I have one more thing. Because Maya last time did a very good job of everybody from the movie who was in a Sherlock Holmes thing, I actually went through and found all the characters from Dead Poets Society who have been in Shakespearean elements since She's the Man is based off Twelfth Night. Nice. Robin Williams was Osric in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Robert Sean Leonard was Claudio in Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing. Ethan Hawke played Hamlet. I can see it. Uh, let's see. Alalon Ruggiero, who was Meeks, mm-hmm. was Balthazar in Shakespeare's Merchant, which was a telling of the Merchant of Venice. Mm-hmm. Josh Charles, who was Knox, was Agent Barker in Muppets in Space. <laughs> and most importantly, <laughs> Dylan Cussman, who was uh, Cameron, wrote the screenplay for The Mummy 2017. Wow. He continues to be shit. So, yeah, <laughs> clearly the, the worst. I have one for She's the Man, but I can wait till. Yeah. There was only one, and it's not the one you think. <laughs> <laughs> um. That's my, my clickbait headline. To get, you have to listen to the rest of the show. Uh, pause well. Nation if you want to hear. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into She's the Man. You Where's, got more tomatoes for us? Yeah. 
So Luke, L-O-K-E-S, gave this four and a half stars. It's so freaking smart. When you watch this movie, you will feel a good feeling in your body in the review. <laughs> hmm. Okay. <laughs> Noah P. gave this two and a half stars. For three years, a poster for this movie hung next to my junior high school cafeteria. I finally saw it on cable six years later. Pretty bizarre and unbelievable. Bimes would be believable as a 12-year-old boy, but not so much as a high school version. That that would definitely get complicated with the showing of genitalia. Yeah, where she uh, she lets them carpe seum. Oh. You need to leave now. Oh, I've got a worse one. Still, it's... She lets them carpe seum. Fucking hell. This last one, I knew you'd be a fan of because it definitely belongs in Pedant's Corner. Mm-hmm. Killian S. gave this one star. Okay, a girl posing as a guy for the entire movie and nobody noticing, that's fine. But you can't bring back on a substitute. End of review. Sports pedants are amazing. Uh, uh, fabulous. What's that, Josh S? Killian Killian, S. Killian S, thank you for bringing you the truth. Mm-hmm. I also did some research for this one. There's been some like speculation on what this was based on, and there's different sources, but kind of the rough idea I got from this was that there are a lot of plays on this kind of theme around the same time period. It wasn't like one particular thing adapted, but it was more like everyone was doing a sort of twin-swapping-places thing at the time. And Shakespeare's, I guess, twist on it was to like play with some gender stuff and to add in the... The scene where both children show their genitals <laughs> to prove who they are. <laughs> no, not even the movie did that. Um... <laughs> He kind of like added in like the gender performativity stuff, but and people suspect that it might be a commentary on the weird stuff where like only men could be actors in England. Mm. People also made it sad hashtag by pointing out that this was written after the death of uh, Hamnet, Shakespeare's son, and so a sister looking for her lost twin makes mm. it way more serious. So there's that. Mm. Also, uh, while we that apparently Diana Rigg played uh, Viola at one point in Twelfth Night, which sounds really good. Hmm. Oh, and there was a version of this called Just One of the Guys that came out in like uh, the 80s or whatever, with the same kind of plot, which also has a, I'm a woman, look, behold my breasts! Yep, my dad watched that a lot when it was on cable. It's like peeling an onion with you. <laughs> <laughs> We're learning a lot about your backstory today. Your dark origin story. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, what did we think of She's the Man? I have no additional notes, Your Honor. <laughs> it's just the whole movie. Like, I wasn't cringing. I was just perpetually in <laughs> a state of cringe. It was just, and, and sometimes it relaxes just a little bit. I was like, basically my shoulders were just tightly hunched the entire movie. And I watched uh, it with you the first time when you watched it for the bracket. And it was not any better. Uh, um, I think... This film starts off weird. Like, it starts off incredibly sexually charged. It's not what I expect from Amanda Bynes. I believe you, but I don't know Amanda Bynes is Once the comedy started, it was kind of exactly what I expected from Amanda Bynes. But But up until then, it was... Yeah, like, I'm much more familiar with her work on, like, all that and the Amanda show. And just seeing her run half-naked on the beach and... Make out with her boyfriend is weird. Basically, I can sum up the Amanda Bynes style comedy. Every time she goes, she makes that face where she kind of like purses her lips and almost crosses her eyes like that. That's basically her style of comedy. Thank you so much for making that face while on an audio medium. So, I mean, I had to pay you back for that gesture you did earlier about that. A lot of her characters remind me of Steve Urkel. So take that as you will. Uh, yeah, I, I know who that is. 
I understood that reference. Oh, <laughs> uh, I keep forgetting that you had no cable. <laughs> it's true. I will say a lot of the one-liners that they give Viola in this film is like, they're really bad. I'm pretty sure Amanda Bynes did not write, write those. You mean Amanda Bynes isn't responsible for 1-800-BIOTCH? <laughs> Which I will say, I laugh at every time because it's so dumb. It's that barometer of, I forget. Maybe my brain just remembers how dumb the movie is and it's just happy to have one like actual joke. <laughs> That's not just Amanda Bynes talking in a very weird voice and being overly awkward. Is oh, that yeah. that she's trying to do a really bad Ben Rob Long compression? Yeah, it's, I don't even... That's almost too generous. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining... Amanda Bynes and Knives Out. Also good. But no, I'm imagining she's a man where everything is exactly the same, but uh, Amanda is played by Daniel Craig. <laughs> a, a remake of The Amanda Show. That's <laughs> exactly the same, but Amanda Bynes is played by Daniel Craig. Uh... While a lot of the Amanda Bynes writing comedy doesn't work, we do get a lot of wacky hijinks comedy that I like. There's like classic, like, she has to be two people in one scene. We didn't really talk about it last time, but it's, that kind of thing always gets me. And so, like, it, that was a good bit. I, I like the quick change thing. I like that she apparently kept her hair and just has this wig. It was really bad wig she keeps. Yeah, a lot of her prepping to, like, become a boy is also pretty fun. Oh, there's this one scene of her, like, walking behind dudes <laughs> trying to mimic their gait and it's very weird and also would be super problematic had the genders been flipped yes let's not do that one i mean that's probably in white chicks i've never <laughs> seen it but it seems like that would be have i talked about my like white chicks experience on this podcast no and i'd prefer we keep it that way <laughs> sorry i realized i'll ask you my 100 questions off mic then <laughs> The summary is, I had to read someone's paper about it four or five times. Uh, that's while you were working at the writing center. Yeah. Have you seen the movie or you had no context? I had no context. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Speaking of amazing, David Cross is principal in this movie. Yeah. They just let David Cross be David Cross. Yes. Which I think is what they should have done with Amanda Bynes. Like, let Amanda Bynes be Amanda Bynes I mean, as Sebastian. I think sometimes they were, and it didn't always work. As someone who's more familiar with the Amanda Bynes oeuvre, what were those times? <laughs> I definitely think the weird voice was all Amanda. Ah. And some of the weird things she does when she's pretending to be Sebastian, like being really proud of like hawking a loogie. <laughs> no hawk a loogie. <laughs> Do men ever actually hawk loogies or is that only a thing that happens in things where women are pretending to be men or making fun they, of no, men? No, they don't. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, especially high school. Um, okay. Yeah, I feel like any time in the script where it was like, Viola reacts. That was, that's where Amanda Bynes got to do whatever she wanted mm -hmm. because the script wasn't dictating she do something very specific. Like the lines, she had to say the lines, but it was yeah. like, Viola reacts. She could do her face. <laughs> we didn't talk about it much last time, but there's a sequence where Amanda Bynes is at the like debutante ball training. We spent so much time in these like masculine spaces at the school that we're now spending some time in like a feminine space. And I'm intrigued to see how it functions more or less the same just with I guess more class, more more pretense, more politeness. I feel like the film is trying to say something about gender. I'm not sure what it achieves by doing so, yeah. but it does point out that Viola is kind of this fish out of water wherever she goes. Like she doesn't fit in amongst the guys. She has to try really, really hard, and even then, it's really weird. And she also doesn't fit in amongst her female peers either. 
the only place that she fits in is on the soccer field. And that's one of the reasons that that's so important uh, to her. I started a note for it and then it kind of fell apart almost immediately about like the color coding and clothing in that. Because when we start out the movie, so, I mean, they're at the beach, so yeah. nobody's really color coding. But then she's on the field and they're all in the same uniform. And then after that, she's in these very dark clothes. Everyone around her is wearing very light clothes. And the only other person wearing very dark clothes is her brother, Sebastian. The mm -hmm. mom is very vibrant. She matches the house, mm -hmm. like all that. And then once she starts lying, like immediately she decides that she's going to she's the day and become Sebastian. <laughs> um, one, Alex will not make eye contact with me. Uh, I told my roommate, I came up with that joke. That's what I titled my The Tomatoes Notes because it was a combination of the two. I decided to say for that. My prediction was you were going to sigh at me very hard. You were going to leave. I was really sure you were going to get up and walk out. But this wasn't all just a setup for that. It was just the place I could put it in. Fair um, enough. Once she decides to like go out and be Sebastian, that's when she starts to, she wears colors that match the inside of the house because mm -hmm. that's what her mom wants. Mm -hmm. She starts wearing red at Illyria because that's their colors. She wears blue some other times. Like when she's at the debutante training, she, everyone's wearing these very pastel gowns. And she's wearing like a light blue shirt. But it's like white skirt, denim jacket. And she doesn't really fit in color-wise or clothes-wise. And then at the very end, they show the entire Illyria team. And she matches the color there. Once she's herself and on the team mm -hmm. and has proven what she can do, that's when like yeah. it, she visually fits in with everyone. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Nice. I think we can also see uh, a little bit of that like feeling out of place in the dream sequence that we get, mm -hmm. where she's trying to play soccer in a ball gown. And even then, the colors are very muted because it's set like a battle scene. Yeah, and she's wearing a very pastel, I think, pink dress, right? Or is it like a white or something like that? I, it's, but... it's either like pink or red. Yeah, mm -hmm. which kind of like fits into like the like, you know, traditional pink woman thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. that was my one good thought about this. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there was talent and skill involved in this movie, but not all of it like gets to shine through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really does feel like they were like, this is kind of the tone we want to go for. So let's put together the perfect cast for that tone and then kneecap all of them <laughs> into not really going to their strengths. Like we've hired you because we thought you'd be great for this. But we're not going to let you mm -hmm. do the thing that we hired you for. You're going to do, we hired you because we like Amanda Bynes. We don't want you to do any of your Amanda Bynes comedy, though. We want you to yeah. do our comedy. Yeah. There are, like, a few bits that shine through. Like, when they conspire at the uh, pizza place to try and get fake Sebastian in with, with the guys by having all these women hit on him, mm -hmm. there's this moment where one of the girls in on the thing, like, waits for Viola <laughs> to slap her ass. I'll never forget you, Sebastian. Mm -hmm. Ever! It's so ridiculous. I couldn't help but laugh. I love this too because it requires some deft for me to really enjoy it. But generally, the I have to increasingly hide who I am behind a increasingly ridiculous note. Like, oh, two pictures so I can hide my face. And then, oh, you're going to see me. So she picks up a huge stack of pizza boxes. <laughs> Those usually get me if they're done well. And I think that one was done well because it was also like movement. Like she's being yeah. chased. Yeah. And so it's like just what's at hand. It's not like <laughs> yeah. a weird... Movies deal with nudity a lot, and it's almost always inevitably at somewhere where there's a lot of fruit. <laughs> Somehow, every time. This one was like, no, they're at a pizza place. And it's like, what do we have at a pizza place? I don't know, two pictures of water and like a pizza box. And like, it was really well done there. Mm -hmm.
But with and this scene, we also get some like fun intentional bad acting, which is a thing that I appreciate when <clears throat> when like the characters are doing a bad job with the lines, but the actors are doing a, a good job portraying that. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like. Props to those actors, and I kind of wish we got to see more from like the the girls who are helping sell this bit. They're fun. I like her posse for this. Her <laughs> grift squad, or like uh, at the end where the principal's whole like big reveal blows up at his face. It's like <laughs> yes. Oh, um, enjoy. That was a skit. We okay. Yes. <laughs> the, t- the aristocrats. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I was laughing watching it this time based off of your last episode when you talked about this. That bit at the end, we don't discriminate based on gender. It was like, okay. <laughs> Although I noticed that earlier in the movie, he talks about how like we are an inclusive school here when he, when Amanda Mines like, I'm allergic to the sun. I can't take my shirt off. And he's like, oh, we, we, we're not going to exclude you for that, of course. I'm wrong. <laughs> Weirdly, he reminds me a lot of some of the stories I've heard about army drill sergeants who have gone through diversity symposiums as part of being in the army but mm-hmm. still have the underlying army mindsets mm-hmm. I, I mean i need to break all these you men and men adjacent persons down. <laughs> uh, we, we talked about it earlier but viola being at the debutante training hmm. sort of thing and she gets into a fight in the bathroom honestly i love that fight sequence oftentimes in movies when you get fight between women they will immediately start pulling hair well, like not just that, but just they'll hold back because it's, it's women and we don't want to see them get hurt. But that's not the case. <laughs> this movie either. doesn't. This movie wants to see women get hurt. <laughs> like, they just go for it. Like, they're slamming each other into the bathroom fixtures and it's great. Zack Snyder, she's the man. Isn't that Sucker Punch? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> My face hasn't looked like this since the first time I heard somebody refer to Doug as Diet Hey Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's a pretty good fight. Like, honestly, one of the better fights in this bracket. How many fights are there in this bracket? Like, at least four. Okay. There's at least one in Sage, at least one in School Ties, a very long one in class in this one. I mean, we also have all of Sky High, where there are multiple fights. Mm. There's, oh, yeah. There is one in O of what we watched of it. Mm, yeah. And I'm there's fights in St. Trinian's. True. Okay, yeah, so <laughs> honestly, a lot of fights. Um, this is a very violent bracket. Even more so than the comic book bracket, somehow. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of offset by like the, the Annie factor. Mm-hmm. No need to explain that for anyone. <laughs> I, totally, I definitely understood that. We can carry on. <laughs> uh, uh, one other thing. So... Pretty late in the film, they have a montage to All American Rejects and Dirty Little Secret. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good, appropriate song for this film. I just wish they would have done it sooner in the film, where Viola is still attempting to keep her secret. <laughs> There's one thing I noticed because I was tracking the clothes as clothing color as symbolism metaphor. Mm-hmm. Still, uh, when she comes home from soccer, she's wearing a hat. With the Union Jack on it, which I, at first I noticed it because he goes to London, Sebastian yeah. does. But it says "Long Live Rock and Roll," which is a reference to the Who, mm-hmm. which I thought was appropriate that she was wearing a hat for a band called the Who. Mm-hmm. There's also he was wearing a Violent Femmes shirt, and I couldn't find <laughs> other than that bathroom fight scene. I couldn't really find a total link up there. But yeah, good taste question mark. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if these were specifically chosen. The bands mm-hmm. and like the albums were specifically chosen as like. Symbolism. Oh, sure. So sure, I was yeah. looking that up, but I, I couldn't find anything yeah. in there that tied that together. Mm, yeah. 
I only have one person from this cast. I dug through the main cast that people would mostly recognize. I didn't really go through many of Duke's friends, like his posse, yeah. or her friends very much. I picked like like Viola Sebastian, yeah. their mom, Vinnie Jones, um, and their mom, Vinnie Jones. Uh, <laughs> and then the Vinnie love Jones. interest whose name I'm forgetting suddenly. C-Tates? No, um, the one that Channing Tatum wants to, the love oh. triangle one. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But anyway, the only person I found who was in anything Shakespearean was... The mom, Julie Haggerty, was Dulcie in a movie called A Midsummer Night's Sex Dream. Now, I will say, that started Woody Allen and uh, Mia Farrow. No, yeah, Mia Farrow, that's the mm. that's the wife, right? I, don't, yeah. I know there's Ronan. Ronan's the new one. Okay. It was starring them, so take that as you will, but she played Dulcie in A Midsummer Night's Sex Dream. And she was the only one on the cast. I excluded, <laughs> obviously, this movie, yeah. since it's loosely based on a Shakespearean play. Yeah, right. Couldn't find anything else. I don't think Magic Mike was based off of (laughs) Measure for Measure. (laughs) (laughs) That I would not have picked her as the only one in a Shakespeare adaption. Yeah. Oh, I'm wondering if they're like sliding out of fashion or anything. Well, this is, I mean, just, I went through her whole Mm. IMDb Mm. page. So this, I went back to like the 80s or whatever. I mean, obviously, this one was the Woody Allen movie. Like, this was. Right. So I also, because I had to be even more extra than Maya who challenged me, I decided I'd play because of the Sherlock Holmes angle, which was one of the main reasons I was brought, originally considered for this <laughs> this guest spot. I took Jeremy Brett, who's, star, who's the star of the Granada series that Jackson and I have a podcast about, and I played the like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. and I picked Robin Williams, Amanda Bynes, and Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have... Jeremy Brett was in an episode of the Granada series, The Crooked Man with Fiona Shaw, who's mm-hmm. the aunt from Harry Potter that most people recognize her from. She was in Harry Potter with Jim Broadbent, who was in Robots with Amanda Bynes. Um, Wait, Robin Williams was also in Robots. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Is that the animated one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that cuts this list way down. I I picked somebody else for him. um, But, because everybody, Fiona Shaw, the Harry Potter movies basically made this like a two-move game. Yeah. So, Jeremy Brett was also in that episode with Fiona Shaw, who was in Harry Potter with Michael Gambon, who was in Kingsman the Golden Circle with Channing Tatum. Oh, yeah, there we go. I went with a different actor for Robin Williams, so it's a little sh- yeah. longer, but Jeremy Brett was in A Scandal in Bohemia with an actor called Wolf Kaler, mm-hmm. who played the King of Bohemia, who was in the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movie, A Game of Shadows, as mm-hmm. like a side character. So Robert Downey Jr. was in Pick a Marvel movie with Paul Bettany. Yeah. That's not the title of the movie. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll I would this. watch that game show, though. I'll say Captain America Civil War with Paul Bettany, who was in Wimbledon ah. with Kirsten Dunst, who was in Jumanji with Robin Williams. Nice. Yeah, Fiona Shaw, I, I started with yeah. Wolf Kaler because I knew that, they, and I could get to Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got to Robert Downey And this one, I was like, I'll do Fiona Shaw for the other one. And then it turns out, like, she's the cheat code because <laughs> the Harry Potter crew is yeah. all of England. <laughs> I think um, Martin Freeman has a bit of where he talks about being one of the three English actors not in the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, they were too old to be students and too, too, yeah, too old to be students and too young to be teachers. Yeah. So, but, they're Britain's lost generation of wizards. <laughs> Honestly, uh, Martin Freeman, uh, he would have went a way better looping than Guy from Dragonheart. Anyway, we had two end segments. Do we want to start off with the oldie or the new one? Let's go with the new one because I think that'll be a little bit quicker. Okay. So, we want to decide which school name is more pretentious between the two films. Okay. So, for Dead Poets Society, we have Welton Academy, belovedly called Helton by the students. Mm-hmm. And then in She's the Man, we have Alaria Preparatory School. And Illyria is a reference to the town that uh, Viola Wash is up in in the actual play. Mm-hmm. 
just like Cornwall Academy. Is... I mean, I feel like having preparatory in your yeah. name immediately gets you. Yeah, yeah Welton isn't too bad. Yeah, like Welton's not too bad, but Elyria Preparatory School is pretty I was, pretentious. I was going to overlook Elyria because it's the, like it's a reference. Yeah. It's the name of a place. Preparatory. Yeah. Is, you can't. Yeah, it's sunk him. Yeah. And then we have our alignment chart. Yep, so we decide who is most jock, most nerd, most prep, and most goth. From the previous episodes, for most jock, we have Duke Orsina and the guy from Dead Poet Society who had the whole the cat sat on the mat thing. The one who looks like Crab and Goyle <laughs> got smooshed together. Yeah. I definitely think we need to go with Duke Orsina for most jock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, easily. For uh, prep, we have. Dudley from Young Sherlock Holmes, and Hilary Faye from Sage, which I don't know if you've seen. Well, argue your case for both. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) If we examine one of the facts. (laughs) (laughs) I may be a simple country lawyer. (laughs) I do love that this one turned out that neither of those films are represented in the bracket still. Yeah. I think I've got to go with Hilary Faye. God, that's a really tough one, because both of them are really antagonistic. Right. Do you have a pick, Jackson? It's going to be really hard to pull this up. We'll see. I think I want to go with Hilary Faye over Dudley, mostly because Hilary Faye is more of a central character than Dudley is. And, like, after Sherlock poisons him to be an albino, (laughs) uh, he's not in the movie anymore. (laughs) What a wild sense. The thing I love is I've seen the movie, so I got that immediately. I love the idea that somebody has not seen that movie at all. And they're like, what? (laughs) Here's Hilary Faye. Also, I feel like she has a, like, horse girl energy that makes her well, less preppy. I've never seen these, so if you're picking the other guy, I'll have you plead your cases at all. I guess I'll tie break, but if I don't need to vote, then... Oh, I don't have a strong opinion. I think they're kind of both equally prep-ish, but not strong prep. Then I would say Hillary. I'd say her, then, because if you don't care, and Alex has a strong <laughs> opinion, it sounds like <laughs> that's already you already have a decision. <laughs> sure. We have um, Mr. Meeks from Deadpool Society, and Sherlock Holmes from Nerd. From <laughs> Sherlock Holmes from the movie Nerd. Okay, it's my favorite Sherlock Holmes movie. I think by virtue of being Sherlock fucking Holmes, he's more nerd than Mr. Meeks. Who I mean, built a radio, but I mean, built a hang glider. <laughs> Fair enough. Also, Mr. Meeks listens to like cool music, which is less nerdy. It's true. Yeah, I love the dance you were doing there. <laughs> that I'm a hip guy. <laughs> I know how to be hip. You move your shoulders. What's next? <laughs> you put your left foot in, then your left foot out, then your left foot in, and Sherlock Holmes wins that bout. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh. um, and lastly, we have Goth. We've got Eunice and Cassandra from Sage, which you also have not seen. I listened to the episode. Which one's Cassandra? Cassandra um, is the Jewish girl in Saved. What does she do? I can't remember. Why was she uh, most goth in that one? She smokes, she listens to metal music, and she is, like, over everything. She also is dating Macaulay Culkin's character. Mm-hmm. That automatically wins her goth. <laughs> oh, no, who else is she against? Uh, Eunice from She's the Man. I mean, I honestly don't think Eunice is that goth. I mean, she's just intense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just made a very compelling argument that Eunice will one day, like, cover her lover in spiders. <laughs> I mean, I can see that. But also... <laughs> It was up against Young Sherlock Holmes, which didn't really have that many goth yeah, people. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely go with Cassandra. Right. Cool. So most of the people who won that bout are from movies that are no longer on this bracket. All of them are movies that have lost. Well, 
I think you just gave away what we're voting for because oh. Duke Orsina did win Jock. True. I'm voting for Dead Poet Society. I mean, I am also voting for Dead Poet Society. But just for posterity. <laughs> I prefer She's the Man, but as I threw... Well, Interesting. I, as a, as to watch, I okay. prefer She's the Man. But as I threw out a league of their own in the last bracket based off the fact that it was a sports <laughs> bracket and that was the not as sports specific movie, Dead Poet Society <laughs> is far more a boarding school movie than She's the Man is. That's true. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to vote, I would vote with you. My vote doesn't matter because it's for posterity, but I want it out there. known. I am voting for the movie I didn't prefer because <laughs> I had already established my system of voting was like that. So Fair enough. A present of their own. Although that meant we got to watch Stick It like four times last year, which honestly worth it. Yeah. Uh, Stick It, in fact, won a few of our Posse Awards. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've heard that. <laughs> Is that an episode out? There's not an episode. It was all on Twitter. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know if you were going to do like a episode to announce the winners. We may do that in the future, but it just didn't work out this year time-wise. Yeah. Write out like the, like for the Posse, for this, like the, whatever, and then have like... Me and Maya and Daniel and like all your friends or whatever come out and do like the now presenting. <laughs> Good. Doing a huge big thing of it like at year's end sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Mike, tell you where, where they can find you. Yeah, I currently have two podcasts. They both are still currently on hiatus. <laughs> Jackson and I will return to Study Granada. Uh, you can find a Study Granada where Jackson and I watch the 1980s Granada series of Sherlock Holmes starring uh, Jeremy Brett and Edward Hardwick. And we read the stories and we talk about it. You can find us online everywhere by searching Studying Granada. We're on Twitter at in underscore Granada. Currently, based on where we have our stuff hosted, you can only listen from season two, episode five onwards. I'm going to work on getting at least all our episodes on YouTube. So even if we don't switch, back colleagues there. Uh, equalizers, We, me and my friend Madison Jones, take movies that never got a sequel or a prequel either because they're very good and they don't need one or they're very bad and they don't deserve one. And we give them to them. The episode that's currently up is The Avengers, where I took some of the films that we did made a cinematic universe and made an avengers team out of it uh i'm really proud of it uh jackson was on that episode alex helped one of the big turns of the movie yeah it is Um, a fantastic episode if you have two hours of time to kill there are a lot worse ways you could spend it i think on our twitter there should be the list of all the episodes that tie into it so if you are the type of person who would want to get all of the jokes and references that's there but we We'll be back. Madison and I today had a discussion. We're going to be coming back soon. So uh, keep your eyes on your earbuds. We'll be back. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me for an episode that mattered. (laughs) (laughs) How's it feel? It feels really good. (laughs) Coming up next, we are continuing with our prep school bracket, and we'll be talking about Wild Child versus St. Trinian's, which honestly feel very much like the same movie. Yeah. So that should be a fun one. If you want to catch that episode as soon as it goes live, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever you catch your pods. Mm -hmm. This has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, Pause Nation.